You are Locked On Vikings, your daily Minnesota Vikings podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Locked on Vikings. I am your host, your pal, and the kitty copied off in math class. My name is Luke Braun. You can find me on Twitter at LukeBraunNFL. You can find the show on Twitter at Locked on Vikings. And today's show is brought to you by NFL Game Pass. This season, get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. See all the action from every game with full game replays. You can also replay an entire game and catch all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. Go to NFL.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. And appropriately, we're going to do a little bit of film review, a little bit more of a deep dive into the unfortunate debacle that happened in week one against the Packers. But first, a couple of quick notes. It is expected that on Wednesday at some point in the week, George Iloka is going to sign on as safety depth. Uh, the Vikings promoted Nate Metters uh, right before the game to be their kind of their 53rd man and uh, the safety depth. And they also... Activated Hardy Nickerson, so he was actually active for that game to like play special teams or whatever. That that was one of their their practice squad elevations. You have two practice squad elevations a week. I think you can elevate the same guy for two weeks. Uh, then you have to roster them if you want to activate them again. Um, they also have been protecting Chase McLaughlin, their kicker. Uh, of course, he got some run in San Francisco last year. He kind of bounced around the league. The Vikings are really high on him. They've had him on the practice squad before, and they really want to stash this guy for when Dan, the uh, Dan Bailey runs out of gas. And they've been keeping him, you know, there have been a couple of other kicking disasters going on around the league. I talked about one of them unlocked on NFL yesterday, so go check that out if you missed it. And also yesterday... I talked to Zach Hiller, Dallin Cook's agent, about the extension. We kind of talked all about the extension and went over all that stuff. So if you are interested in that, go listen to yesterday's yesterday's episode and then come back here for a little bit more deep divey stuff into what happened against the Packers. And I want to start with the pressure numbers. That's usually, I think, where I like to start, especially because offensive line is always such a thing. And honestly, the the offensive line performance, uh, it was, again, it's a small sample thing. And like I kind of said before, because it's such a small sample, the Vikings just didn't run a lot of offensive plays because their failures happen to be very catastrophic and drive-ending things, you know? A, a pressure turns into a sack, turns into a safety, and while, you know, maybe there's a pressure and the drive could go on, you could get five more plays out of that drive to study, when it turns into a safety, it just ends the whole thing, and so you are kind of robbed of a lot of the data that you would typically have. But we can at least look and see that of the offensive linemen, three of them had clean sheets, and that's really nice, right? At least in terms of pass protection. And they were all pretty good in the run, too, in Riley Reef, uh, Dakota Dozier, and, and Garrett Bradbury. All three of them had really nice games, and that's really encouraging, especially considering how worried I was about Dakota Dozier before the season, how worried a lot of people were even about uh, Reef and Bradbury before the season. It's nice to see good games out of those three. Of course, Brian O'Neill gave up a hurry and a sack, um, we talked about the sack that he was credited with, at least according to PFF, on the stunt. It's arguable that you could blame Pat Elfline more for it. I, I think you're splitting hairs. Um, and then Pat Elfline had like this disastrous game where he gave up five pressures. And that's really, really bad. But the nice thing is when one of your linemen has a, a, a piss-down-your-leg catastrophe, is I think what I'll call that. Uh, I, I talked about those with Garrett Bradbury in the past. But it's, it's a piss-down-your-leg catastrophe, right? You give up five pressures, that's an abysmal game from an offensive lineman. That's something where you have to go... S- 
on a spirit journey with some peyote in the woods to find yourself and figure out if you're in the right line of work. Uh, And if one of your linemen has that and the other four have decent games, the pressure actually doesn't really define the game. And I don't like if you just went up to somebody with no context and asked, hey, why the Vikings lose against the Packers? They probably wouldn't say offensive line play. They would say something about the defense. They would say uh, something about like maybe play calling or something if they wanted to get super nitpicky about like the safety and stuff or that but they probably would say either because the defensive line didn't get any pressure or because the cornerbacks got roasted right now I think most people would say the cornerbacks and I think offensive line is honestly pretty low on that list they run blocked okay the run game was pretty good uh Kirk Cousins actually had quite a few deep completions and deep opportunities he was had to be protected for those of course there's like bootlegs and like play action stuff and all that um but yeah I I think the offensive like if the offensive line performs this way every week where you get four good players in one catastrophe I kind of I'll take that because overall it means that the game is going to be decided elsewhere and I think when that's your weakest position group you want the game to not be decided by that position group and I think that's kind of what we had against Green Bay so I'll take it Kirk Cousins also graded out really well uh, according to PFF and I think that they have pretty good reason for it. I mean, Kirk Cousins, I don't know. He didn't have like a spectacular game or anything, right? If he did have a spectacular game, we probably wouldn't be talking about a loss. Um, and I think that there are some things proactively he could have done that other quarterbacks would have done that he doesn't do that could have prevented things, right? Like he could have avoided a sack or something like that, or he could have like been more mobile or whatever, uh, had better pocket presence. I think all of those are generally nitpicks. I don't know. I'm not like too upset with uh, Kirk Cousins' performance at all. Uh, he threw deep very well. He had a lot of deep complaints. Completions and even against like private defenses and stuff, you kind of have to take that with a grain of salt, but they still count. I'm, I'm fine with Cousins' performance. And of course, Adam Thielen was excellent with the two touchdowns and all that. So on the whole, on a like an individual offensive performance basis, there isn't too much to be deeply upset about. You can be upset with Elfline, but the impact of that wasn't particularly strong, as is kind of common with the right guard. One interesting snap count nugget that I found was uh, that BC Johnson ran 21 pass plays and Justin Jefferson ran 27 pass plays, uh, just a snap count thing. Justin Jefferson did not grade out very well and and BC Johnson did, so maybe the Vikings would have been correct to honor their depth chart, but they didn't, and I find that pretty interesting. But really, some of the stuff on the offense that I want to talk about is, I I mean, there's really only one play that I really want to dive into. And uh, full disclosure, uh, as of this recording, I haven't been able, the the All-22 hasn't been released on NFL Game Pass yet, so instead I'm looking at the broadcast on NFL Game Pass. However, the one play that I think is really in question, the fourth and three, where Kirk Cousins went deep to Tajay Sharp, Mike Zimmer called it out after the game, and there's an awesome article uh, at The Athletic about that play and what Thielen said about it and what's supposed to happen on it. And so I figured I would explain it real quick for you. And I'll link all this stuff in the show notes if you'd rather read it. But basically, that was a situation where the Vikings kind of thought that you would expect them to run. It's fourth and three, and they're the Vikings, and they just extended Dalvin Cook. And they kind of thought, I think they're going to run. So let's take a deep shot to kind of subvert that expectation, which in its uh, in its principle, I think is a, a decision I don't love on fourth and three, unlike third and three, and then you plan to go for it on fourth down, sure, or whatever. But on fourth and three, I kind of feel like that's overthinking a little bit, but not so much where I feel like it's worth like really 
really uh, going too hard at it. Um, so they decide to do a deep shot, and essentially the play is both Adam Thielen and BC Johnson go deep, and the safety, um, I, I actually think it was both safeties, I think it was quarters coverage, but they're going to shade to a side, right? And they're, they're going to kind of, uh, they, usually they will kind of lean toward one side or the other, depending on personnel or whatever they see with the alignment or whatever, and it's going to be stronger, well, the coverage is going to be stronger on one side than the other, depending on what the safeties do, and Kirk Cousins' job is to read that and then to make the, th- the the choice to throw accordingly, and he did. The, the coverage shaded toward Thielen, he threw toward Tajay Sharp. But that decision, I don't think, is that cut and dry, or should be that cut and dry. It is that cut and dry for Kirk Cousins, and I think the criticism is that it really shouldn't be. And I think Mike Zimmer, like, kind of seems like he agrees. Uh, and of course, uh, you know, the Athletic article also kind of uh, breaks down a lot of interesting stuff about uh, like Kirk Cousins and his kind of I call him like his Ron Burgundy tendencies, where he just reads what on the te- what's on the teleprompter, no matter what it is. Um, and I think that kind of manifested itself there where you had Adam Thielen in a one-on-one and because of the coverage rules that you were given you didn't uh, take that opportunity even though it was just the safety was shading a little bit over to his side not necessarily covering Thielen it's just the rules told him what to do and he did it and that's what you're taught to do but not really having the capacity to kind of think outside you know color outside the lines in that space in a very subtle way could have turned you know fourth and three turnover on downs to fourth and three oh wow deep completion to Thielen. And I don't think it's unreasonable to ask him to think about personnel more when it comes to reading coverages and stuff. I I think the coaches would want that from him too. But overall, let's be honest, the offense is not the thing to criticize here. So in a second, we'll talk about the defense, we'll talk about what happened with the pressure, we'll talk about the corners, uh, and all the other stuff that we can glean from that. But first, let's talk a little bit about how I can get all this information. This season, you can get football on your time with NFL Game Pass. You can catch every snap from every game with full game replays and see all of the plays in just 45 minutes with condensed games. That is the clutchest thing in the world, trust me. You can relive all the gutsy calls, crazy catches, wild comebacks, and breakout stars from every game every week. It's all the action, all the football you can handle, all in one place. And NFL Game Pass is the only place you can replay every game all season long. You'll also learn from the league's best players with over 40 NFL Game Pass film session episodes. Go inside the game from a player's perspective as they break down the game's concepts and techniques. Learn from the the best like Deshaun Watson, Stephon Gilmore, Devontae Adams, even Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook, and many more. NFL Game Pass also provides access to the entire NFL Films archive. Go to nfl.com slash Game Pass to start your free trial today. NFL Game Pass, where football never stops. Okay, let's talk about the defense and and some of the things that went wrong here, because I think there's a lot to break down. And while I don't, again, I don't have the access to the All-22, I usually would by this point in the week, so I think doing film on Wednesdays should be fine throughout the season. Week one can always get weird with that kind of thing. Um, I... Can still we can still piece together with uh, some of the tape that has been posted. Uh, Seth Galina, he is somebody who works for Pro Football Focus, so he does have the All-22, and he did post a couple of interesting clips that sort of explained something that I was curious about. Um, and I think you can glean enough from the broadcast tape that we can kind of start to piece together the takes we would have gotten. So let's do that. So where I want to start is with the defensive line and the, the lack of pressure. One of the mailbag questions that I got yesterday was, uh, you know, 
why didn't they blitz more? And I had mentioned, like, I didn't think they blitzed a lot, and I kind of had the same question, and then it turned out that I was just, like, dead wrong, and they blitzed 20 times in the game. That's a ton of blitzing, and it just didn't look like it because Aaron Rodgers was getting rid of the ball very quickly. He got rid of the ball quicker than anybody else in the NFL did, and that's not something you can control or do anything about on defense. Usually, if you're getting the ball out quickly, it's, you know, short passes and you can't exactly build an offense off of something that quick and it can kind of become easy to suffocate. Think, you know, 2016 Sam Bradford, Pat Shermer offense or what the Vikings did in 2017 to teams, turning them into these kind of like quick pass. Uh, you know, all we can do is a five yard stick every play and, and you know, you can't build an offense out of that. Unfortunately, because of some failures we'll talk about in the secondary later, they actually were able to, you know, pump up the average depth of target there, but there were still a whole bunch of plays that uh, I think they're called like tap passes or like touch passes that... Um, that are basically jet sweeps. They're basically handoffs. They get logged as passes, and then they're passes where you didn't get a pressure. Um, but they're the, the kind where, you know, a, a wide receiver or a running back runs right in front of Aaron Rodgers, and he basically just kind of tosses it out to them instead of handing it off um, as like a quicker way to get a handoff. And it's basically a jet sweep without uh, being actually technically logged as a rush, and you're never going to get pressure on that kind of thing. Um, and so actually what I did was I went through the tape, and I looked at all the blitzes that I could find. PFF said there were 20. I found 17. I figured close enough. And I put a timer on it. You can see that video. I'll link it in the show notes for you. But I put a timer on it to basically say, okay, when they blitzed, how long did it take for the ball to be thrown? Was there really a lot of quick passing? You know, let's do this and kind of do the, the work for, for ourselves. And the, the rule of thumb for this kind of thing, um, ESPN has done a ton of work on this. PFF has done a ton of work on this. Uh, but basically, like, the, the relationship between time to throw and pressure and sacks and stuff. And basically, uh, proving the concept of if you get the ball out quicker, it's harder for the defensive line to sack you, and it's easier for the offensive line to do their job. And that's kind of what the Packers were able to accomplish, even though there was a lot of blitzing and the actual blitz designs and the decisions based on the blitz, I generally agree with. They sent a lot of Anthony Barr up the A-gap. They did a lot of Harrison Smith coming off the edge. I think those are two of the fastest blitz things that you can do. And they tended to, uh, I mean, they were trying to do the, the blitzes that were like the most direct the fastest ones, not a lot of crazy stunting, not a lot of crazy, uh, you know, workaround stuff that if it's just going to be, you know, a, a second and a half and throw, none of that stuff's going to matter anyways. So I actually think the blitz designs and the decision making there worked out fine. It's just that they still got rid of the ball quickly enough. And at a certain point, there's nothing you can do. Shoot, it might have actually been better to not blitz in this game, although pre-game I would have never ever thought that, so we kind of just have to rely on the benefit of hindsight. But if you go watch that video, of the 17 blitzes that I logged in uh, in that video, uh, nine of them had the ball thrown before the two and a half second mark. So that is the threshold for when you can kind of reasonably expect a blitz or a pass rusher to get home. After two and a half seconds, that's when you're kind of in the sweet spot where most pressures occur. Most pressures occur between two and three seconds. So anything before two seconds, it's completely non-negotiable. You're never getting home no matter how good you are, no matter how good the design is. If that ball is thrown after you know, before two seconds, you're just kind of screwed. And that's that's a slant, right? You're never going to get a sack on a slant or a, a screen or whatever. That's what those quick little like touch pa tap passes were, you know, that was 
a fraction of a second. And there were a few times where it was like a, a, a very quick, like take the snap and just go throw it kind of thing. And you're just never going to get pressure there. And it totally neutralizes the blitz and it makes it look like they didn't blitz at all. And maybe the, the, the move would have been to stay home in coverage when they have those quick passes. So you have a better chance of preventing them from turning into yards after the catch. There was also a missed tackles issue, right? There was a, you know, a quick swing pass that neutralized a blitz and would have totally been tackled at the line of scrimmage, but then like Cameron Dantzler whiffs. And further, of the plays in that sample, at least, that were higher than three seconds, a lot of them were like a play action or a scramble or, you know, like where there was a pressure and the ball wasn't thrown until six seconds, but that's because Aaron Rodgers, you know, was flushed entirely out of the pocket by the pressure and the coverage was good and he had to throw it away. There was a play that went up to like, I think, four and a half or something, and it was a pressured throw away. And that's kind of what you want to see there. So there's something really encouraging about that, because what I see is, like, what the Packers pulled off in this game is extraordinarily difficult. And it's, I mean, to the Packers' credit, they did something that is very, very high difficulty and very, very high reward, because it's almost impossible to defend when you can get the ball out in under two and a half seconds and throw that ball deep enough, because you're beating up the corners, and this is the, the, you know, the criticism that I would have toward the Vikings is that the corners got beat up off the line a whole bunch— or we're just like playing in a lot of off coverage or whatever. But if you can get the ball out that quickly, it just kind of becomes impossible to defend. You you can't get pressure when the ball is out too quickly. That's just a fact of life. And I think moving forward, I'd be really surprised if many more of the Vikings opponents could do that, even the good opponents, right? Deshaun Watson very famously holds the ball very long, you know? Ryan Tannehill is not a quick strike kind of guy. He's another, like, bootleg kind of uh, run around, take his time, take a deep shot, very similar to Kirk Cousins. Uh, They even have Phillip Rivers coming up. Uh, quickly, and while he does have a, a decent background with like some more like West Coasty concepts, a lot of his best years came in an Eric Coriel with deep passing, and and I think he's most comfortable as you know as five step, seven step drop, survey the field, and, and and launch a home run kind of quarterback. So I think the problem that like exposed these Vikings right now is just a really really hard thing for future opponents to replicate, and I think we can take some encouragement out of that. But first, let's talk a little bit about some automobile advice. So, of course, you know, it is lockdown. A lot of people aren't commuting to and from work every day anymore. And something I learned the hard way is that if you don't drive your car for two weeks, your battery will die. So make sure you get out and just take it around the block a time or two just to make sure the battery stays alive. But if you do get in that situation and you need a new battery, you should head on over to Rock Auto. They will help you sort through everything you need. Just enter your make, your model, and the year, and you can get a battery that is right for your car or whatever part you need. And it's going to come at a real nice discount compared to its brick-and-mortar counterpart. So head on over to rockauto.com, and whatever you buy in the How You Heard About Us section, let them know that Locked On sent you, because honestly, guys, I cannot keep opening up new credit cards. All right, let's talk a little bit about the secondary, because I, I think the real like crux of the issue is not particularly interesting, nor does it require a lot of analysis. The dudes played bad. They just like got beat up a lot by people, especially Devontae Adams, right? And, and I think like breaking down the cause of that is, I guess less interesting than breaking down like how the Vikings tried to minimize the impact of having all these young corners, right? Having a rookie starting on the outside against Devontae Adams. 
and how like those strategies to try to minimize the corner problem, like using your elite safeties and stuff sort of fell apart. I think that's a lot more interesting, but just like some of the raw stats here. Holton Hill was targeted 11 times, which is horrible, gave up seven of them, which is pretty bad for 87 total yards and a touchdown. Cameron Dantzler gave up all seven of his targets, also very bad for uh, 81 yards and a touchdown. And then you had Mike Hughes targeted six times for 81 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Even Anthony Harris had one of his worst games of his career. He was targeted five times, which is really bad for uh, like a deep ranging free safety. And there was a touchdown in there. So there was a lot of pretty rough stuff from everybody. And and it's not, I mean, I think Holton Hill probably had the worst game, but like Devontae Adams, he got nine of his targets against Hill. He got three of his targets against Cameron Dantzler. He got one of his targets against, you know, Eric Hendricks, three of them against Mike Hughes. So he really was able to move all over. And no matter who the Vikings lined up on him, he beat him. That is more or less to be expected from Devontae Adams. I'm sure he's going to have lots of games like that throughout the year. Uh, But of course, this one was particularly egregious because the Vikings also failed to protect those corners. You know, when you had Devontae Adams lined up against Holton Hill, you know that's a mismatch. Typically, you're going to try to move a safety over there to help him out, or you're going to try to, you know, do something to try and and minimize that damage so that it doesn't turn, you know, it's from a a 75-yard, like, pretty good game to 152 touchdowns and unwinnable. So one of the easiest things you can do there is to just shade a safety to that side. Basically tell, okay, whoever the safety is, find 17, and you're helping bracket him. And if, hey, corner, if you're on number 17, you take the underneath safety. If 17's on your side, you take the deep. And if 17's there, like, now now he's basically double-covered, bracketed, similar idea. So they tried to do that, and then... Aaron Rodgers realized that they were doing that and then called a couple of slot fades. And that was, those were uh, the two touchdowns to, or the two really long passes to Marquez Valdez Scantling that were like perfectly thrown. And honestly, reviewing some of that, especially the Dantzler tape, there were a lot of plays where Dantzler was in really good position and kind of did everything you can hope a corner does. And I think that he even like showed better contested catch technique than what you would typically see in that, like, oh, he's in position, but didn't make the play from like Rhodes and Waynes that we kind of saw for forever. I I thought Cameron Dantzler like made pretty good plays on the ball, but there is no defense for a perfect pass. And honestly, Aaron Rodgers just entered God mode and there's not a lot you can do. It is the cliche is a cliche for a reason that there is no defense for the perfect pass. And there were a lot of perfect passes on here, but there were some times where he just got beat off the release. Mike Hughes got beat off the release on those slot fades. And then they said, okay, well, now they're doing slot fades, so let's move the safeties back outside, you know, do split safety stuff, and then he hits a bomb of a post up the middle. So it's like, basically, a a lot of the the nuances of that can be reduced to Aaron Rodgers threw perfect passes away from the safeties and wherever the safeties were, he just found a way to have a guy deep that was away from them and in single coverage. I, I still am a little frustrated that, you know, that guy was Devonte Adams so often, um, but it did seem like they were really kind of playing catch up the whole time and trying to, you know, cat and mouse, get the safeties into the right spot. And whenever the safeties would start to do something different, Aaron Rodgers could just change what he was doing and he was throwing everything so perfectly in that game that there wasn't really a lot that could have been done to prevent it. But I think on the whole, I come away from this game a lot less concerned about the defense long term, and I've been a little more scared of like Aaron Rodgers in a crowdless environment. Apparently, that means that he can just enter superhero mode. Uh, But I, I think like 
watching really closely the technique and stuff, there's lots of mistakes and lots of things that need to be cleaned up. And it's far from me going like, oh, it's actually totally okay. Things are going to be just fine. No, no, no. Of course, that would be like way too homerish. But I do find my concerns alleviating just a little bit, if only because there are like enough signs of encouragement just from like Cameron Dantzler being in position on a lot of plays in his very first NFL start against like some really tough circumstances. And even some of the worst Holton Hill plays, he was still like there and at least in tight enough coverage where a quarterback who isn't throwing everything perfectly isn't going to put up that much production. And as a defense, sometimes that's all you can do. You can't exactly like rely on, hey, they're going to break up every pass and they're going to prevent everything directly and, and proactively. Sometimes it's make things as hard as possible for the quarterback and hope that on the whole, you're going to get him a lot of misses out of that, or you're going to force a lot of incompletions that way because the pass had to be perfect and it's not always going to be perfect. Again, another like really reductive way to say this is Aaron Rodgers had a very good game and it made the Vikings game look worse than it was. The Vikings game was not good. It was not okay. It was not fine, but it probably wasn't as bad as it looked and we can maybe dial it all back. And I think that's a typical thing that's going to happen throughout the course of this whole year. As you know, we do these shows every day and the week kind of wears on, you're going to have the, you know, the first game is going to be very reactionary where, oh my God, this was the worst thing ever. And this was terrible. And this you know, and it, it was the worst Mike Zimmer defense performance, I think, since 2012, the most points of a Mike Zimmer defense has given up. But then as the week wears on and we get to kind of like look through more of the information and the tape and, and some of the more detailed analysis stuff starts to come out and we can do a little bit more uh, research on it, it'll all kind of regress toward the mean and regress toward the center where, yeah, okay, that was the worst thing I've ever seen, or that was the best thing I've ever seen. And then you learn a little bit more context about it. And you're like, okay, that was good or that was bad, but it wasn't nearly as extreme as I thought it was in the moment. And I think that's okay. I think that's just the process that we have to go to. But that's going to be the the whole of the Packers coverage for this week, because next, uh, next show tomorrow, we are going into the Colts. We have a crossover Thursday tomorrow, Locked on Colts with Evan Sedari. Um, so we're going to talk about Philip Rivers. We're going to talk about Xavier Rose and all that stuff, uh, all the fun things that are happening. And then, of course, on Friday, we're going to break down the Colts in a little bit more detail. So we are taking this game. We're crumpling it up. We're throwing it in the trash and we're burning it. It's over. We can stop thinking about it. It's time to look ahead to week two and the matchup with the Colts. You win that one. You're one and one. And it suddenly doesn't feel like the sky is falling anymore. So that is what is coming down the pipe. Again, go check out yesterday's show. If you're going to listen to any shows this week, go check out the one yesterday with Zach Hiller. That was a really cool interview uh, and some really interesting insights coming out of that. I also wrote a companion piece with some more of like my debrief thoughts because of course that was like right at the end of the show so I couldn't exactly like analyze what I had heard there Uh, and I I sort of wrote an article over at Zone Coverage, I'll link that in the show notes, that picked out some of the more like impactful quotes I guess that I saw and, and kind of the vibe that I got out of that interview uh, so go check that out as well of course you can always find me on Twitter at Luke Braun NFL you can find the show on Twitter at Locked On Vikings the show has been brought to you by NFL Game Pass where football never stops and as always Skull <laughs>